Hello and welcome back to the Making Things Work podcast where we discuss all things digital transformation and leadership in the workplace. I'm your host, Duncan Fryer, and I help organizations simplify and transform through the use of technology. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Fiona Leibengut, who helps her clients to build a more sustainable digital future. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So morning, Fiona. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. How is, it, how is the winter over in Switzerland? Definitely cold. Could use a bigger coat. And you need, uh, is there lots of snow? We've had quite a big dump of snow already. I'm looking forward to some more for the rest of the season. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's just, let's just jump straight in and we'll come back to your, to your background and uh, the work you're doing a little, a little bit later in the podcast. So could you just start by explaining uh, to the listeners the current problem that technology specifically presents in contributing to the current climate crisis? and um, and uh, the, the sustainable future for us all. Absolutely. The biggest problem I see, especially in the tech sustainability space, is just awareness. And that's been the problem in sustainability for quite a while. But what's creating this lack of awareness in tech is that, you know, we all use technology. It's become so ubiquitous in our everyday work. We don't realize the scale of impact because not all of it is visual and physical in front of us. And a lot of it, you know, we talk about the cloud. We don't see that. So it must be, be virtual and must be sustainable. Clouds are made of water and air. So isn't that nature? But there's, there's two sides of this lack of awareness. There's, you know, one side is the consumer and the other is in the corporate world. Uh, we as consumers, we like our, our mobile phones. We have them with us every day. A lot of us have smartwatches and a digital devices surrounding us. And aren't necessarily aware of all of the energy and materials that go into these devices. So when you see the latest phone released, you think, wow, all of those features, how cool, I need that new phone, Um, throw away the old phone and move on without really a second thought. And a similar thing is happening in the corporate world where tech is used in every every company is now a tech company. You, You see that when you do digital transformations that Every company lives and dies on the success of their technology platforms. Um, So the same ubiquity that we have in our personal life, we also have professionally. But when it comes to sustainability priorities and uh, commitments, technology tends to be quite low on the priority list. Yeah, so that's where most companies are, particularly, I guess, maybe some of the larger corporations have got small departments that... uh, to try to understand what the company needs to do about sustainability and then this company gets smaller and smaller and smaller i guess is less and less attention but where, what's your overall sense of where the the uh, the corporate world is or and, and universities other organizations in, in um in tackling this issue specifically relating to technology it's definitely a growing topic i see more and more uh companies taking on initiatives in green it i see more startups popping up that try and tackle the issue, more people like myself going out and and uh, trying to address it head on. But um, I think it depends on the industry you're looking at. The size of technology changes per industry. If you're looking at a services company that provides digital services, like a bank or an insurance, technology emissions will account for up to 40, maybe even 50% of all emissions. But if you're looking at manufacturing or pharmaceuticals or something that has more physical products or consumer products, uh, the technology part of the overall emissions will be quite small. 
in comparison. It does not mean it's insignificant. Ah, okay, that's interesting then. So we, the way to think about this then is because at the moment, I think there's the overall awareness of some of the numbers that the the, the amount of um, the contribution to to the climate crisis of just simply burning fossil fuels, and then there's thing airlines and then say technology and the overall uh, carbon footprint of all the, the internet and all the technology in the world is relatively small, isn't it, compared to say burning coal? But what you're saying Absolutely. is that for some companies. The, the, that, that's not a good way to think about it the way they have to think about it because actually they, if it's a, a services organization their technology carbon footprint could be almost the majority of their uh, contribution to the climate crisis is through the use of technology and not because they don't uh, have delivery trucks and stuff like that exactly so globally you know the statistic that gets used quite quite frequently is that technology contributes about four percent of global emissions which is quite comparable with air travel. That's sort of what's generally used to articulate um, the size of the issue, let's say. Um, the only caveat there is that the, our use of technology is still expanding and it's accelerating. So that 4% is going to take more and more space over the next five and 10 years. Whereas things like uh, air travel has almost reached capacity and is not going to expand at the same rate. Um, so that is one one concern when it comes to that. But exactly when you look at a company, um, you know, I've spoken to to companies that rely very heavily on steel. So the head of sustainability has a bigger problem to solve, which is how are we sourcing steel, how are we recycling steel, and you know how are we working with the, our core product when technology is maybe let's say two percent of their overall emissions. But on that then. Could I ask you to um, to explain then, say the difference between just just burning coal, for example, which which uh, uh, which uh, is is easier to understand. You could at least, if we're being a little bit positive, you could say, well, there are there is solar and wind and other other sorts of uh, sources that are sort of at least kind of help contribute to leveling that off. However, with technology, it's much more complicated because of the uh, the materials that go into um, computers and mobile phones and there's a there's a whole different dimension to it, which you could almost think of it as being, um, I don't know, how would you describe it? Is it is almost worse than burning coal, if you see what I mean, or or is it? I I don't know if we can talk about worse or better, but for sure there is a um, some sort of balance there. But um, you're right. So burning coal, renewable energy, all of that is required for the running of technology as well. So it is quite closely linked. If you think of uh, the scale of data centers that we have nowadays, the energy it takes to run all of those servers, even to record this call that we're doing, there's servers running in the background and that's uh, whatever energy is being used um, for that server. We don't we don't know because we're we're just using a platform that's been you know handed to us. But when it comes to the other uh, impacts of technology outside of carbon, that that is almost bigger. So you know a typical device, let's say our, our phones, the overall footprint comes from the manufacturing of the phone, not the use of the phone. The manufacturing of it, typically around 80% of the overall life cycle footprint uh, includes the extraction of raw materials, the processing of raw materials, which is very energy intensive. Um, I think we're, we're all somewhat aware of um, the conflicts that comes around mining and uh, extraction of materials. Uh, the trade of these precious materials is sometimes 
less well-regulated than we might like. And then not to forget the end of life of devices once we're done using them. Um, I'm sure this is something that's familiar to everyone, but I have a big drawer at home of obsolete technology because yeah. I don't know how to recycle it. Yes. Um, I'm guessing that's a staple in every house household nowadays where you, you know, you just dump your cables in and everyone's got this, you know, the old HDMI cable that doesn't plug into anything anymore. Um, it still functions, but it's obsolete. So we're creating all this technology that's that's obsolete in countries where you can throw it away, and there are ways to throw it away in in, in many uh, companies through recycling stations. That often, if you if you follow the trail of what where does it go, it does not really get recycled, and that's for many many reasons. It's you know not being able to decompose um, and separate the the materials. Sometimes it's just tiny tiny components. So is it really worth it? Um, sometimes the tray gets you know the dumped into landfills, um, electronics, yeah. and there's also toxicity involved. And, and um, there's also some awareness that there's um, some like uh, human labor infractions when it comes to these landfills as well. So it's not a very pretty picture when it comes to technology across the entire life cycle. Yeah, so, so it's an interesting point you make there that it, we're spanning all of the, the UN's sustainability goals here, not just the consumption of electricity, um, yeah, to do with the, uh, the yes, the, the the labor that's used to to mine some of the precious metals and so on and so forth. It, it's all this the whole thing. And there is another sort of fun fact or sad fact that uh, yeah. tends to be used quite a lot in these kinds of discussions, which is so your your typical phone will contain uh, about fifty percent of the periodic table when it comes yeah. to metals. Many of those very, very difficult to extract and very, very difficult to recycle. Yeah, fascinating. Yes, and so when we're looking in uh, within organisations, one of the things that sort of often pops into my mind is when companies that have successfully moved their a lot of their systems to um, the cloud-based offerings of SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, Salesforce, and many others, uh, and many, many other software businesses provide their, their software as a service uh, these days. To what extent is that um, helping um, reduce the carbon footprint on a sort of high level? And to what extent is it not? Because you, you, it, you, it almost gives you the opportunity to sort of burn more computing cycles. Um, yeah, it's exactly that. So I have two issues when it comes to claiming that cloud um, will be the big solution and make you all sustainable. One is that you're still running servers, whether you own them or SAP owns them, they're still running. And all you're doing is, you know, you're moving your emissions from scope one and two into scope three. That's shifting the problem, not solving it. And the other is that there isn't enough data coming from these kinds of cloud companies and hyperscalers about the actual sustainability of their data centers. There isn't, I mean, in the industry, there isn't even a, an agreed way to measure the sustainability of the server. So it's very easy to make claims and net zero claims. Um, when you are, I'm, I, I do trust that a lot of these companies are consciously working on the yes. sustainability of their data centers. But I would not be able to say concretely that because you've moved to the cloud and you're using the exact same compute, is that better or worse? Yes, because I suppose in the in the um, 
the old days, sort of hating myself a bit. There was people would go to a, in a if it was a, say a business just based in the UK, people would go to work between nine and five, and I mean sometimes you'd even shut down some of the equipment or the very least it would just all go to sleep. And now uh, with cloud technology, you're kind of um, there's ways of organising your consumption, isn't there? That um, so it can be shared and what have you. However, it's 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 uh, it, it kind of encourages you to make more use of it because you can, for example, do log on to all these systems at home. Yes, it, there's this mentality, and you know we all see it in our private lives as well. If someone else is paying for it, then you're going to consume more of it. And if I'm a user of one of these products in a company, I'm not burden, uh, taking on the cost myself. Going to maximize what I've what I've got, um, what's being offered. So. You're right. There is this mentality that, um, you know, it's, it's not my cost, so I might as well consume. Yes, uh, it's not in in the bill that you receive in the end. Yeah. So, my understanding was that a lot of the cloud providers they do they do provide you with a dashboard, but that's that's more like a consumption dashboard, like a fuel gauge or a speedometer, isn't it? Rather than it, it doesn't uh, ultimately, if you want to reduce your carbon footprint, you have to. You, use less or or do fewer things uh, or do things in a, simple, in a more simple way. I guess the, to what you were saying, the, the dashboards that they do provide at the moment really only tell you what's happening. They don't, nothing's going to happen to improve your uh, sustainability or reduce your carbon footprint unless you really do something. And the, the granularity of data is a little bit different. So I think uh, from what I've seen, and a lot of this is done based on spend. So say you're spending a certain amount of... yes money with your cloud provider they look at their entire footprint how much you're spending as a percentage and you get allocated that percentage it's not the real you know this is my area of the data center this is the service that i'm using because of course it doesn't work like that Um, so you don't have that granularity in there as well so you could spend a certain amount but consume a lot more compute because you're doing much more complicated things than uh, a peer who's spending the same amount but doing much more simpler things and so you mentioned there the, the 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 scope three concept, which is where you, as a business, you'd need to understand the um, the full end to end life cycle of your of your your products and then your technology as well. To what extent will can you see things changing quite quickly? Could there be a kind of tipping point where companies really are going to have to uh, really get on top of their carbon footprint of their use of technology? very quickly i can imagine something so there will be a point where one day it will all start happening but we're all it'll all be a bit too late and we'll all be scrambling where well we could take a much more measured approach right now what else is new though <laughs> yeah well yeah <laughs> yeah i think there's a, a bit of a push and pull um yes between the the vendors and the companies um you know if, if companies are not working on anything in terms of sustainability in their tech they're not putting the pressure on their vendors and the vendors unless they're really put under pressure for this, they won't necessarily out of the goodness of their hearts start providing uh, maybe the data or alternatives or whatever it needs to be. But I think this this cycle is starting to come so that I, I do see companies starting to push back on their vendors. And it's, this, it's not just for tech, you know, this, this uh, push and pull, but um, for any company trying to work with their vendors. Okay, well, let's, let's just um, take... A, a a slightly different track now and talk about yourself and your background and what's led to you to to do what you've done where you essentially you've gone you've kind of gone all in on on the, this uh, on this subject and um it's your your mission now so 
T tell me where, like, where your career background and then what's led you to this point and what you're uh, currently uh, working on with your clients. Absolutely. So I've spent about 10 years working in customer-facing roles in tech. So whether it was consulting or customer success, I really loved working with people in IT. I don't know what it is, but it's just the, those, those are my people, <laughs> even though I myself am not a techie. Yes. Um, and what happened about four years ago, I had a bit of an identity crisis, as many of us do in our careers. Uh, you sort of look up from your desk and you think, what am I doing? And I had the opportunity to do a little bit of discovery. I took a course on sustainability and that just, you know, precipitated my identity crisis because I thought, what am I doing? I can't save the planet. I have no skills in that area. What am I going to do? Until I realized I just need to look back at my desk and look at what I'm doing in my day job and try and make that sustainable. And that's how I started looking into what is the role of tech? Um, I got very optimistic because I think tech can also be a really great enabler. And there's a lot of technology solutions that can help us accelerate um, the, the, the work that we're doing to battle climate change. Um, but then there is this dark side that we've, we've talked about in depth so far. And when I realized that there was some resonance to what I was starting to talk about with, with people around me, whether it was peers or customers, I realized there was more than what I was already doing in my day job, making customer success more sustainable. I wanted to go all in, like you said. So I, I, I took the the plunge um, and I found it quite rewarding. I mean, anything that scares you in life is worth doing, right? Um, so there's been a lot of knowledge growth, personal growth, um, all of that to come to a point where I, I'm in a position now to take the skills that I've built over the last 10 years in customer-facing consulting roles and put that into good work, uh, looking at how IT strategy needs to evolve, embedding sustainability into IT strategy, uh, being able to measure your your IT footprint, taking those measurements, making them meaningful, so turning them into action. So a lot on the change management spectrum of how are we changing mindsets, how are we changing governance, how are we changing processes, how are we working with our vendors? And I get to do that now with, with my clients, which I find thrilling to see the challenges we're facing, sort of the, the barriers that come in, the people say, no, we don't want that, or uh, sustainability is just a pastime versus those who really see the passion and, and same as me, they looked at their desk and said, how am I going to make this sustainable? and took it from there. So so you, your work in, encompasses the whole world of consulting, if you like, from the point of view of change management and process and, and people, and, and but with a view to then um, reducing the, the, the technology carbon footprint, but it actually comes, it, it's, it's, there's different ways of tackling it. It's not just about um, cloud migrations or, or what have you, or doing, doing technology related um, projects to to improve the efficiency there it, it could be those things but yeah. uh, you know for example in one case we did an assessment of what the footprint was and the key recommendations that came out of that were not moved to cloud but rather consider your device life cycle uh, currently there's a three-year life cycle how can we move it to four five six and work with our vendors to make sure that they're being recycled properly that they're um, more repairable, that we're using devices that have a high repairability score, that they can be refurbished, et cetera. 
So that in the end, that turns out to be the first issue in tackle. But of course, you come up across a lot of other problems in trying to extend the life cycle. There's, first of all, the emotional thing. You know, employees want the new phone. They don't they want do. That's it. right. Yes. <laughs> yes. They don't want to have a five-year-old phone, uh, especially when they're, you know, being paid to work and, uh, at a company that maybe, yes. you know, these benefits are important to them. But there's other things as well to consider. So security. If the old hardware can't keep up with modern security um, requirements, then the company will not continue to use the device. Yep. Um, there's a lot of work we're doing to change things like mindset. So it's a lot of, you know, building up of knowledge, but then going through and trying to extend these processes. And again, you need to, if you're trying to change your life cycle for devices, you need to know when the contract ends. You're not going to renegotiate in the middle of the contract. Yep. Um, and you want to get benefits from that contract that aren't just sustainability focused. So what are the other priorities that are coming into this negotiation? Um, sustainability will never be the sole deciding factor for anything that's done in IT, I think. Um, but it needs to be part of the decision. Right. Corporate mobile phones is a great example, isn't it, really? Because in the past, you you bring your own device types or policies come, come out. But then, yeah, there'll be a bit of some people are happy, some people are not unhappy. But now you, you almost you really have to tackle that the whole subject head on in a way that you kind of got skirted around in the past, like maybe giving people some options to renew when they and so on and so forth. Now we don't know about you, but the bring your own device thing felt a bit, let's say, cheap from the company. It felt like, oh, I need to pay for my own device. I'm not even getting anything yeah. from the company. And here we want to avoid that. The messaging is this is to save costs, but we want the messaging to be to employees. Um, this is for the planet. Um, yes. And it's not just a greenwashing thing, but it's something we genuinely think will have an impact. So how do you make sure that the communication doesn't just happen sort of, oh, here's your new phone. And by the way, it's for five years because we're being more sustainable. Yeah, yeah, more, yeah. More enveloping, more mindset, more, you know, um, it understanding the, the actual individual are you working with your clients on you know uh, for example just doing fewer things you know you, for example you could um uh, you know i was working somewhere quite recently well one of the good things was because they they, they locked up the building at five o'clock uh, li literally we, everyone had to leave for sort of building security reasons and that was just the way it was and actually being kicked out of the office was actually a good thing you know because it, it we all need to go home and um you know, recharge the batteries before coming in, as metaphorically speaking, before we come in the next day. And um, do you do you have those sorts of conversations with clients? So rather than just everything being available twenty four hours a day, um, is is you could you could imagine sort of closing things down or just just doing less stuff. Yeah, I think it's all about efficiency in that case. But I think also. In, in IT organizations, there's already been a lot of pressure to do more with less. Yeah. Over the years, budgets have, you know, re reduced and requirements have gone up. That's That seems to be the typical trend when it comes to, to IT. So there is already this pressure to do more with less. And I think sustainability can be part of that. Going back to the, the, the more cultural side of it, have, have you had um, some successes there where you could, where you, that you could share where you where you've managed to you really have brought about the mindset change and then actually i guess from then on um 
some of the implementation then is then relatively straightforward and people really signing up to help you. Yeah, I'd love to say I'm full of successes. Yes. <laughs> the, the reality is mindset takes a long time. Um, yeah. And there's there's one story that I love telling, which is two years ago, I sat down for coffee with a CIO. I'd asked them for a coffee and said, I'm interested in sustainability. Is this the right thing for my career? And he said, I'll have a coffee with you, but I don't know what sustainability has to do with my job as a CIO. 20 minutes into the coffee... He's full of ideas when we should turn our screens off at night. We should have fewer screens. We should be doing energy saving in the data center. We, all of these things started just sprouting. Um, so that's a mindset shift in, in 20 minutes. But then from the moment of you know having that conversation to be able to bring it to the organization and to be able to implement um, part of the strategy as sustainability, that takes a lot longer than just a coffee. Yes. Yeah. Cause at the moment, it seems to me that it, we've, with the pandemic, we've, we've, we've now a lot more people are working at home. And then there's this whole thing about trying to drag people sort of kicking and screaming back to the office. And, um, I think as the other thing I, I see as well is, um, whereas in the office you would have sort of back to back meetings all day. Now you have the sort of back to back teams calls and, um, or zoom or, or whatever it is you're using. And um, that I'm hoping that over the next couple of years, or even maybe even sooner, that whole thing will will have a um, a sustainability dimension, um, so that you going to an office will be to actually do something w- with a specific reason rather than just being there. And then similarly, you know, having back to back calls on on cameras all the time isn't really great either and there's no there's often there's no real need to that we've just sort of filled the day with these meetings do you, do you can you see things changing perhaps in 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 switzerland things are maybe a bit further down the road or than than in other countries because that sort of it, the country has does have a history does it not of or does it not a, a, a history of, of more impressive i think well i've tried to be a bit greener than many other countries Potentially, um, it's, it's nice to have that image, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm not an an, an expert specifically on, on all things Switzerland, but I do know that we we did just recently vote to commit um, to a 2050 strategy, a net zero strategy. Um, what that means is presumably there'll be investments coming in um, for companies to develop into yeah. more sustainability. In terms of tech, Switzerland's also just adopted um, data centers in Switzerland. So there's the first uh, sort of AWS and uh, Azure, maybe even GCP. Again, I'm not an expert on this. Um, data centers in Switzerland specifically because we have quite tight data regulations. So a lot of companies need to physically store their data in Switzerland. Um, and of course, when it comes to data centers, location is hugely important because that yeah. impacts um what kind of energy you're consuming. So the more sustainable data centers tend to be in colder countries like um, Iceland or the Nordics. Uh, in Switzerland, we have a lot of fresh water that helps for the cooling. So that's theoretically more sustainable. Yep. Um, whether that is more sustainable, I'm not sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of the the grid mix that we have, we use a lot of hydro in Switzerland. Uh, we have a lot of nuclear as well. Um, and then in 
in short energy times. I think we import from France and Germany, which could be either nuclear or coal. But I'm not an expert in all of any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reason, why, the reason why I um, it's popped into my mind is actually a simple little story. I just remember when I was in Switzerland in, in the 80s on holiday, and even then, back then, you had to turn your car ignition off at, at uh, traffic lights and junctions, and that was that was the case. But so that sort of stuck with me. And um, so now, yes, I've got this this picture. Maybe it's not completely warranted that that the uh, Switzerland is. Um, it's possibly slightly further ahead than, than maybe some other countries, but, but yes, as perhaps like yourself, I've got absolutely no evidence about that other than a story from 40 years ago. <laughs> I mean, I would say when it comes to regulations, the EU is more ahead. And I know neither the UK nor Switzerland are now part of the EU. Yeah. Um, but the EU is, is far ahead when it comes to regulations for sustainability in general. So the CSRD, um, requires a starting measurement of 1st of January to be reported as of uh, 2025. Switzerland doesn't have any intense regulation like that. I'm not sure about the UK, but because we have so, such close trade with uh, the EU, a lot of companies headquartered in Switzerland are impacted by the EU regulations. Yes. Whether they like it or not. So this is coming at the beginning of yeah so the the reporting requirement starts as of 2025 but with data that starts as of the 1st of january 2020 yeah fascinating yeah so it could so these these things are it is coming they, these um companies will be forced to um to respond to these uh, to the regulations that are, that are st starting to land is we, we we don't quite see that for when we following the news from the uh the cop conferences it, it's um the, the the debate in the news is at that sort of political level, but below that, these these regulations will start getting in, churned out and enforced. And uh, yeah, there's still a gap when it comes to the regulations for technology specifically. So you see sort of small things coming out, like the uh, requirement for all devices to use the the USB-C charger, which is why the iPhone had to change from Lightning to to USB-C, and that's something that came out of uh, the EU to reduce digital or electronic waste. Yep. Um, there are some regulations around building infrastructure energy efficiencies, which also impacts data centers, but it's not specifically designed for data centers. Um, but when it comes to overarching IT sustainability regulations or contribution to the CSRD reporting, it's not quite clear where that falls yet. Have you um, uh, done any work with your clients to discuss the idea that um, I, I don't know if this, if this is correct or not? That actually, the more sustainability you are, the, the more effective your business will be anyway, and the more more successful you'll be. There's not necessarily there's a there's a level of overlap there at the very least, is, is there not? Absolutely, I think the perception currently is that sustainability is an extra cost. Yeah. But when yep. it leads to efficiencies or um, higher sales because you've got more eco-friendly products, which a lot of people would prefer to buy, um, or happier employees because they're working for a purpose-driven organization, there yep. are tangible but maybe not easy to measure um, positive impacts. And so that's not easy for then a decision maker to say, well, we will probably have some benefit from there if we spend a certain amount of money now. Yeah. It's harder I to say, yeah. Yeah, interesting, yes. 
and also as, as we, we we talk about this on the podcast a lot that that i guess this just comes back to what you your how you've um decided to go down the path of um, sustainability in technology because actually the big decisions that companies really need to make really all related to uh, technology so it's, it's it's a good place to start from the point of view of considering your the sustainability of your business as a whole yeah and when it comes to measuring the sustainability of your your it a lot of it is logic you know you, you use fewer servers the more sustainable you are um so my view currently it's there is no regulation requiring a full audit of your it footprint measure what's reasonable measure a sample don't measure your entire footprint just measure a reasonable sample that will give you an indicator of where your footprint heavyweights lie um, rather than trying to you know get every single thing to the decimal point perfect because you won't have all the data you won't have the granularity of data but you have enough data available to start getting the big picture and then right. if there is a regulation in two three ten years you'll be ready because you've already been through that painful first step of what data do I even have? Yeah. So, yes, he was saying it, it can, um, I guess it can be very tempting to, to put together a very complicated program of work to uh, analyze everything when what you're saying is a more sort of agile approach where you just start. That's what's important. Then you learn as you go. And is there any other advice you'd give, you'd give to, to to your clients or and to to the listeners out there who about some other ways of thinking about how to really get going with sustainability. So I think the combination that works best or that you absolutely need to have in your organization to be successful is that at a corporate level or at a global level, you need to have a sustainability commitment. And then you need to either yourself or someone in your organization needs to be sort of management level uh, motivated, personally motivated, interested, have enough influence and knowledge to start communication, start to build a movement. So that's the second pillar. And the third one is then an executive who believes in that same vision and is willing to put the, the sort of budget in to give it a go. So there's the, the corporate level sustainability, the mobilizer in IT, and then a CIO, presumably, who would put in um, the budget and support the overall uh, change. And once you've got that in place, it's, uh, you know, you, you can't change what you can't measure. So it is that first measurement step. But as I said, don't, don't try and measure everything, get a reasonable amount uh, so that you can get started. And that will give you insight into what you can actually change, what you can actually impact. Of course, then it's a, it's a bit of a tightrope walk between ambition and realism. Um, you've, you've worked in IT for a long time and as much as we'd love to change things overnight, it just doesn't happen. Um, yep. So being able to balance what is realistic, what's pragmatic um, and keeping ambition levels high to actually have an impact, that's the tightrope walk afterwards. Great. Okay, well, I think that's a great place to, uh, a great note to end on. So what's the best way that uh, people can get in touch with you, Fiona if they want to continue this conversation with you? I'm best reached on LinkedIn. Uh, so look at my name on LinkedIn and find me there. 
Great. Okay. Well, thanks very much for for joining us today. And um, myself, I'm also available on uh, LinkedIn, Duncan Pryor, and you can catch up with all the episodes of the podcast on our website or by searching for the Making Things Work podcast on your preferred platform. And we had uh, so many great guests last year. So please do um, subscribe to us or see our newsletter, which now goes, goes out once a month. And we're looking forward to a great year ahead. And many, many more guests on the podcast.